The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Hey, Lifehouse. During the Forest City series, we talk about a lot of topics that impact our city. And one of those issues is the topic of broken homes that impacts families, youth, and children in our region. To talk about this topic, I've invited one of my good friends, Alex Lyons on, who is an alumnus of and an advocate for people in this issue. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and your experience? Yeah, so uh, I, growing up, I never knew my dad and I lived with my mom until I was eight. Uh, my mom had a lot of abusive boyfriends of one who thrust me into foster care. I was in my first foster home for a short amount of time where I met a 65-year-old Presbyterian choir director. And when I think of maternal love to this day, 30 years later, I think of that woman. I was not with her, but a short amount of time, but I think of her having a tremendous impact. But unfortunately, because of tension between my biological mom and that foster mom, I was then put in care of another family, uh, a 24 and 26 year old couple who are newly married. And so that did not end well either. And uh, by then I was in uh, almost in junior high. For the remainder of uh, my time, I spent in a couple different group homes, one of which was a Lutheran group home. When my uh, grandmother died, uh, my mom stopped visiting me and I was kind of truly at a lone portion in my life that was kind of just kind of the lowest of the low, if you will. Um, you're here where your mom is, you know, your only family member that you know, and all of a sudden she's not visiting you anymore and you feel abandoned. You feel that you're, uh, nobody really cares. Who cares about anything really? Do you see people as a problem? I mean, maybe you don't see everybody as a problem, unless you're one of those few people that during, you know, the last six months of shutdown, you've really liked it because you've been able to social distance and not have to see anybody's face. You actually are one of the few people that really like wearing masks because you can disguise your disdain of everyone. Okay, aside from those few of you, uh, the rest of us, you know, like, there are times that when you see people as a problem, again, not everybody, but the few people that really annoy you, uh, the few people that see the world different than you, they have the opposing political view, they have a, a different view on just about everything, and so as a result, you see those people as a problem. And you think there are people that see you as a problem. And when you, th when you see people as a problem, it's easy to overlook their needs. And when you feel like you're a problem to others, you believe that your needs are overlooked and, so, and you just start to believe that people don't even care. And, and so we have, in not just in the nation, but in our own community, we have this feeling that we are invisible and we recognize that there are invisible people. There are people that we want to be invisible, especially right now when we're all stuck behind masks. It's easy to feel invisible. And we have a crisis, right? When people feel invisible and needs go unmet, problems begin to brew because there, there are vulnerable people. There are individuals that genuinely need us to recognize and see them. And when we don't notice them, others do notice. Individuals like, you know, drug pushers, 
and gangs and gang leaders and traffickers. And in our own community, I mean, right here in Hagerstown, we have an issue where we've got too many broken homes and kids that are displaced, kids living in unstable home environments or thrust into the foster care system. But the challenge is when kids feel invisible, they're easy prey to predators, to people who want to traffic them, people who want to literally use them and abuse them like slaves, people who are out for their own best interests and are willing to pump drugs or pull them into a gang environment. And unfortunately, what this does is it creates a pipeline, not only from the foster care system, but it can create a pipeline from vulnerable kids into drug addiction, into trafficking, into gangs and violence, and ultimately then into prison. It's the prison pipeline. Look right here in America, we've got 440,000 children in the foster care system. And I get it, right? Like, that number feels so big that you, do, you start to get lost in the numbers, but every number has a name. And every statistic has a story. Of those 440,000 kids, 20,000 of them will age out this year. What that means is they're gonna, in essence, like graduate, but they don't get any awards. They, they basically get released from the foster care and all the support systems available to them, and they step out into a big, bad, cruel world. But remember, they're in the foster care system because they have no support systems. So then when they go on in life, there's no one there from them. They literally have no one. 20,000 kids who become adults each year who literally have no support system whatsoever. The, Department of, the U.S. Department of Justice says that 300,000 children are vulnerable to being sex trafficked each year. Of those, at least 100,000 are actually trafficked for the purpose of sex each year. 100,000 kids. That's more individuals than there are total number of people who die from traffic accidents and drug overdoses combined each year. We have more kids being abused and, and, and put into commercial sex trafficking, and yet we hear a lot about driving safely, and yet we don't hear much about the abuse and the misuse of our own children, our, our future, our generations. And so here's the thing now. It's so easy for these problems, unstable homes and kids in the foster care system, kids who are aging out right, right in Washington County this year, at least 10 kids will age out and they'll just be released unto their own devices with no one looking out for them, no one to help them, no one to cheer them on. If they somehow miraculously were able to get themselves into college and actually graduate, there'd be no one there to cheer them on. They don't have anywhere to go for Christmas. And I'm not just saying this to make you feel bad. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. And obviously I wanna challenge you. Here's the thing I do know, Jesus noticed vulnerable people. Jesus noticed individuals that others saw or others didn't see because they were invisible. Their needs went unmet. In fact, I'm just gonna jump into a passage. It's recorded by Matthew and his gospel account, the account of the life and teachings of Jesus from the eyewitness perspective of Matthew where he wrote this. Jesus went out, went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, of God's kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Many of these people who were untouchables, the diseases that you weren't even allowed to go near them. It was like, in modern day, it was like they brought to Jesus all of those with COVID and Jesus touched them. They, they brought to Jesus all of those with contagious diseases and he, he brought them close. He, he overcame the social distancing and Jesus touched them and he loved them and he saw them and he noticed them. And he, here's what was going on. People saw Jesus and they saw their hope, right? They were oppressed. They were beat down because they were living under the cruel Roman empire. Their entire nation oppressed, occupied by Roman soldiers. So people are beat down. They're abused. They're experiencing systematic injustice. They're, they're being violated. They're being taxed into uh, destitute poverty, a nation being torn apart. And when they saw Jesus healing the sick and teaching about the kingdom of God, they saw their king, a king who would lead them in a revolution. But Jesus didn't come to lead a revolution to establish a short-term temporary kingdom. He came to bring his kingdom where he would rule as king of every heart an eternal kingdom. And so Jesus is teaching a new way on how to live with him as the king of our life. And really what he's driving at is that when you have Jesus as your king, you notice those that others overlook. You see the invisible. And so he says it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to live it. The challenge, the takeaway for you to live this, so let me, let me give you the challenge, is be moved by mercy. Be moved by mercy. In essence, see the invisible and do something about it. But we don't necessarily get involved when things get sticky. Why? Because while we hear the statistics and while we recognize that there are problems around us, the challenge is that we're going through our own mess. We're going through our own tough issues. We feel beat down and beat up. And so I just... I'm going to go ahead and throw on a boxing glove here, this feeling of like you and I, every time we turn on the news, we feel like we're getting a gut punch. The world is not as it should be. We live in a broken world and you feel that brokenness. You have needs that go unmet. You feel like people don't see you the right way. They see you as a problem, especially when you're most needy. And it's a gut punch when you feel overlooked or under-recognized. And so you carry a deep pain of feeling beat up. And why is the world not as it should be? Because we are not just broken, we are spiritually broken. We've been gut-punched by something Jesus called sin. 
sin is the ultimate corrupting problem that separates us from God and sets us up for ultimate ruin. Sin is the big spiritual gut punch that blasts us and leaves us not just in pain, but feeling invisible and set up for failure and ruin. Because here's what sin does. We don't just turn our back on God. We set a life course toward ruin and toward forever judgment. I'm not saying that your sin is what's caused all the pain. I'm saying that sin has broken the world around us. Sin has set us all up for failure and sin leaves us with a gut punch of pain. And the end result though, is that not only is the world not as it should be, but we are not as we should be. And as a result, we don't even see people. We don't see the needs around us. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus sees people. Matthew chapter 9, so if you jump ahead just a little way, Jesus not only says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, but then he shows mercy. How? He says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. And I wonder how many of you feel harassed and helpless, or how many of you recognize those that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Before we move on, there's a little phrase here. It says, he had compassion. Another translation of the Bible translates it this way. It says, he was moved with compassion. The word there is actually splagnissimo, or splagnizomai. And uh, I know that's a weird word. It's actually a Greek word. So if you're like, that sounds like Greek to me. It is Greek. Um, Splagnissimai. let, let me explain. In fact, I'm going to do something to illustrate what this word means. So Jesus is, uh, it says he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite my daughter on this stage. Bethany, come on up with me. Um, every once in a while, we, we have boxing gloves in our house. And so I never, rare, I almost never get to throw a punch because, come here, um, my little sweetheart, who's almost as tall as I am. You can come close. I won't bite. I won't punch you. Um, so my kids, they, they, like, they like the gloves, right? And uh, here's what they want to do. They just want to beat on daddy. And now my little boys have picked up on this, and they want to throw punches at daddy. And so I thought, in front of the whole world, I'm going to give you your chance. And uh, I promise I'm not going to hit back. All right, you ready? I, told, I, I actually invited her. To, I said, it's okay. You're allowed to hit daddy as hard as you want. All right, you guys ready? Because I want you to, now, if I fall over, we're all in trouble. All right, here we go. Ready? Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. All right, give me that glove. Give it up for Bethany. Those of you joining us online, well, I guess you heard it. What you heard was me go, Splagnissimi. <laughs> It's actually almost like an automatopoeia, which is like buzz. Jesus, with compassion. That's literally what the word means. It means he got hit so hard in the gut that it hurt him to the point where he had to respond. It says Jesus saw the crowds that they were harassed and helpless and he got punched in the gut and it hurt so much that he had to do something about it. And so he did. Here's what Jesus did. Imagine yourself in the arena. You're in the ring, but you're not standing up taking the punches and you're not throwing any punches. You're on the ground. 
And you already got knocked down and knocked out, but the enemy isn't done with you yet. He's ready for the death blow. And Jesus throws himself between you and the death blow of sin and the death blow of Satan and the death blow of eternal judgment, and he takes the hit. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to take the death blow for you and I. We deserved it. And there are times when we didn't deserve it, but we're going to get it anyway. And so Jesus spreads himself out, a good, loving father willing to take the blow, not hitting back. Jesus takes the hit. He dies in our place. Paying the ultimate penalty for our suffering, for our guilt and shame, for what we deserve, for our sin. And so when Jesus died, he died absorbing the death blow of the enemy against us. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven of our sin and given new life. We are forgiven and guilt and shame removed. But Jesus not only took the blow, but when he rose from the dead, he threw the ultimate punch against sin, defeating it once and for all, freeing us from the grip of sin, freeing us from the eternal judgment of sin. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we're not only forgiven, our gut punch removed but we are given new life and forever life through faith in Jesus. And by the way, if maybe you feel like you've gotten a gut punch and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you want to believe by faith that Jesus has absorbed your sin, absorbed your judgment, and you want to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Yes, Jesus, I'm willing to let you step between me and what I deserve. That's what this means. That's what faith means. Faith invites Jesus between you and your judgment, between you and your guilt. And Jesus already took the hit. But it's faith that invites him into your life to receive it for you. If you're ready to make that commitment right now, you let us know. Text the name Jesus to 41411. I don't want to say text Jesus as if you think that this text is going to go to heaven, although Jesus will certainly see it and know your faith commitment to Jesus is saying yes to Jesus by faith, right? That, that's your commitment between you and God. But you're going to let us know so that we can follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey through faith in Jesus Christ, where Jesus already took the blow on your behalf. He paid the price so that you could be free from sin, free from death, free from eternal judgment, so that now, even when we die, we know that death doesn't get the final word. Death ends in forever life. So let's jump back into the story. What does it mean to be moved by compassion, right? Jesus was gut-punched, and he was so moved by compassion that it compelled him to do something about it. Right, let's jump back in. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Um, it says, he was moved with compassion. He took the splognissimo. He took the hit, and it hurt. But it didn't just hurt. It moved him. What's the point? Being moved with mercy, being moved with mercy, means compassion must become action. Now, you're going to hear me rant for a moment. Because I'm your pastor. And you've been gracious to either tune in or join us at our campus. Here is the challenge. Christians develop deep convictions. 
right? Because they read the Bible and they pray and they begin to believe deeply in things that this is the way things should be. And their convictions, which are deeply held beliefs, can become judgmental hypocrisy if not followed by compassion. Listen to me. You might have a conviction that unborn or a pre-born life is precious and deserves to live. And so you have taken on an anti-abortion stance and certainly the Bible supports that. God has always been for the vulnerable and the unborn and the pre-born and the vulnerable newborn and the elderly. God is about the value of all human life. But what happens is, if you take a posture of just simply being anti-abortion, but that doesn't become pro-life, your conviction becomes judgmental hypocrisy because you're not moving into compassion. So listen to me. What I mean is this. We can be against someone taking the life of another, but if we're not willing to be, get involved and help, then we have to question whether we truly believe what we say we believe. And so I know for, for my, me and my family, here's what happened. Mercy began to move us so that our compassion became action. I'm, my entire life, I've, I've taken a pro-life stance, but I don't know if I was truly pro-life until God began to so deeply convict me that every conference I went to, and every friend I would talk to, they were involved in foster care. They were involved in adoption. And suddenly I was getting gut punched. I would go on a mission trip and we would, I didn't know this, but we were going to go to an orphanage and I'm going to go to another country. And we were doing a full, you know, we're, we're going to go there and we're going to serve and we show up at another orphanage. And the issue began to, issues, which are uh, problems are really people that need our care. And what I began to feel was a gut punch and I didn't like it. And so I began to pray and say, God, I know that you don't really want me to get involved in this. I mean, I, I'm already pretty involved in our community. I love my city. I love Hagerstown. I pray for Hagerstown. We're pastoring in Hagerstown. We're serving our community. You can't really want me and my family to invite people into our home and I can distinctly remember a moment laying in bed, wrestling with God about this issue, about whether or not we should step in and get involved and become foster parents. And I can remember one night, I didn't want to say anything to Laura. She had no idea I was wrestling with this, that I was feeling a gut punch. But I can remember one night, I said this to God, God, you can't want us to open our home. He said, where's that in the Bible? See, your, your conviction can be judgmental hypocrisy or your conviction can lead to compassion and that compassion, which is a gut punch, needs to move you to action. And so for finally, after that moment in prayer, I went to Laura and I said, hey, honey, I really believe that we need to get involved personally in becoming foster parents. And my wife, she was so excited. I mean, within days, she had that entire application filled out and we got involved, right? Because it wasn't enough to have a conviction. Our conviction needs to be matched with compassion, but Jesus wasn't just, you, you can clap, but uh, I, I want to, I'm going to keep moving here, right? So here's the thing. Jesus was moved with compassion because he saw them harassed and helpless. So he did something. And for you and I, when we are moved by mercy, our compassion must become action. You get involved. And so here's my question. Maybe it is the issue of foster care. Maybe it is the issue of child sex trafficking. Maybe it is uh, an area of adoption. But maybe there's something else that's a gut punch for you. You feel the splugnissimi. 
of pain and your heart is aching and there's something that hurts and you say, I must do something about that. It's not enough just to feel it. You got to get involved in it. You got to make a commitment to say, I will be part of the solution. I'm not just going to call out the problem. We have plenty of people willing to call out problems. But when you call out problems and you don't do anything about it, it's just simply judgmental hypocrisy, and it doesn't change or transform our city. And since we are for our city, we are a church, and we are families, and we are individuals who allow, we are moved by mercy so that our compassion becomes action. Okay, now let's take it one step further. Jesus says it this way. In the same sermon, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Righteousness, a word that means doing the right thing. Doing the right thing that God wants you to do. You don't do it in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What's the point? Um, being moved with mercy is not a show. What, what does Jesus say? Go ahead. You guys can jump. Did I skip over a verse? I'm sorry if I did. The point is being moved with mercy is not a show. Showing mercy is not a show. You're not showing off. Think about it. Mercy is like, no, mercy is an iceberg. There's a little bit that's seen, but most of mercy is unseen. Most of mercy is done in the quiet. Most of mercy is done in the secret. Most mercy is done with no recognition, no applause, no validation. It's done in the quiet places. And I could tell you, I know enough foster families where they do a lot in the quiet. They'll never talk about it. You'll never know it. But they love and they care and they give and they serve, right? Because mercy is not about getting, but giving. Some people, they give hoping to get in return. They'll even do good things hoping that it makes them look good. Or they'll show mercy hoping that others will see how benevolent they are. It will help boost them in the eyes of others. But mercy is an iceberg and most of it is unseen. When you get gut punched, you don't care. That, that hurt, that pain drives you to be part of a solution and you don't care what anybody thinks or what anybody says because you're willing to do something and it's not a show, which means mercy puts people first. Mercy doesn't see people as a problem. Mercy puts people first. And in our community, I can tell you what we need is you and I to put others first and particularly to put the most vulnerable first. Make sure that your mercy is not a show. You're not showing off. You don't need accolades. You don't need anybody to tell you good job. It's enough of a gut punch that you don't care what anybody says or does. You don't care if you're having to do it alone. It hurts so much that you are moved to do something and you must do it. And it doesn't matter who else is or isn't with you. This matters. And so when you get involved and you put people first. And so I'm just going to be direct with you. In our community, there are vulnerable individuals, like we saw Alex's story, who just feel like no one cares. And I can tell you that mercy trumps trauma. Even though people have been through trauma, 
And you might think that their, their issues are so complex and so complicated. Enough research has been done to prove that the number one key factor in helping someone overcome their deep trauma is another person that cares. A sense of belonging. Mercy trumps trauma. You and I need to belong, we need care, and then we need to give care. We've received mercy from God, and so we are moved with mercy. Jesus took the gut punch for us, and so we're willing to receive a gut punch for others and get involved and show compassion and show mercy and love those even when it's hard and uncomfortable and painful. Alex shared a little bit more of his story, and so I wanted you guys to hear this. Check this out. Alex, I can't imagine what that must have felt like, losing your grandmother, your mother not coming around anymore, and you feeling completely alone in the foster care system. So tell us, what happened next? What was the turning point that followed after that season? When my mom uh, stopped visiting me after my grandma died, one of the group home staff members gave me uh, a gold Good News Bible. Uh, this is really the only possession that I have uh, from being a kid. I started to read about how Jesus was the father to the fatherless, how he put the broken in family, how he grafted us in. And you know, when you have staff members and caseworkers and foster parents and now family members that come in and you're out of your life like a revolving door and somebody says, no, I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. I'm always gonna be with you. That really struck a chord in me. That really made me feel like I was chosen, I was cared for, and that that I was somebody that God did have a plan for, that God did care. I always had that in the back of my mind, but it wasn't until I walked into that church and felt the vibrancy of people being excited about Jesus and seeing peers my own age worship Jesus, that it really was a personal thing, you know. So skip ahead to the present. You've got three kids, you're married, so you've got a family of your own. You're in full-time vocational ministry. What made you decide to advocate for your brothers and sisters in the foster care system? To me, I advocate because I want people to know that, you know, we aren't a bunch of stats and statistics, you know, that we're not all crazy, but we do have trauma that we need to work through and we need safe people to help us work through that trauma. But simultaneously, my identity is not who I was as a foster child, but who I am in Christ. And lastly, just to emulate our foster child named Jesus. The church isn't for the healthy, the church is for the sick. And so if there are children who need help, who need to be shown how to be healthy, what more than the many moms and many dads of the church? But just know that all love takes risk. Be it your own child, be it a child that you meet and you disciple in your children's ministry or your youth group every week, or be it a kid that you choose to be a big brother or big sister through. I'm just excited and that Lifehouse Church and your pastor are choosing to love my brothers and sisters in care. That's a choice. You don't have to do that. You're choosing to do what James 1.27 says. See, to me, Zach, in my mind, this is the way that God marked out. He knew that what the devil meant for bad, he turned into good, that I couldn't see my life any other way, and that if I did not endure what I endured, that I don't think I would be able to be the man that I am today. But I am the man that I am today because of a great God that we serve and because of great mothers and fathers who came alongside me for a short amount of time or for longs around the time along my journey, man. 
for, for my family, one of the areas where we felt a deep gut punch was foster care. We felt it deeply. And so we were moved, got involved, and we've stayed involved. Probably there's some of you here that that's what you're feeling. You're behind a computer screen and in your own community, in the city where you live, and maybe you're joining us in the, in the Washington County area. I can tell you in our county, there's a need for about another 100 foster families or individuals who are willing to say yes. And I would love it if Lifehouse was the response of God to the most vulnerable in our city. If the, if the four city churches literally filled the foster care system with compassionate Christians who are moved to action. And so maybe today is your yes moment, the gut punch moment, but maybe there's something else that God is speaking to you about and you, and you feel it, it hurts. Good, let it hurt. Because whatever you're feeling and it hurts, you're hurting for invisible people. You're hurting for those whose needs are going unmet and the church is a response of God to those whose needs go unmet. When you see a problem around you and you think, what is God doing about that? God created you to be the solution to that problem. And so the problem will go unsolved unless you step up and get involved. Now I wanna invite you, would you just respond? Whether you're behind a computer screen or a TV, or you're joining us here, I'm gonna pray over you. Jesus, I'm not asking that you quickly alleviate this gut punch, this splagnissimi. In fact, God, I'm asking that you would begin to, you, you allow them to feel it more deeply. A, a pain that comes from the heart of God that moves us from compassion to action. And God, that you would begin to stir our hearts with a response that is transformative in our city, in our county. And God, wherever you've planted Lifehouse people joining us online, that they would be the response of God to meeting the needs and being a response to those that are vulnerable and hurting who feel invisible. God, I'm, I'm actually asking that you would reach through a computer or a TV or through this message and give a little extra gut punch right now so that, God, we would be moved, moved not just to tears and emotion, but moved to action. And that, God, we would begin to see a city and streets and communities transformed by the hope and the message of the mercy of Jesus. I ask this now in your precious name. Amen, Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.